Hello and welcome to Life with Ed, the podcast. It's September. It's like September 9th, which is crazy. And everyone's back to school. The school buses are back out and like back to work. I feel like um, summer is, even if you're not a student, is sort of vacation time. You know, everyone kind of slows down, takes a little break. But now September's here. I'm wearing long pants and um, it's time to buckle down and get some more work done before we get to the holidays when uh, that all stops again. (laughs) Um, So anyway, the news item for today comes from WebMD. Uh, It's an article that was published in the past couple days, and it's about boys who have eating disorders. And I really wanted to share this one because we so rarely talk about boys who have eating disorders. It's always um, girls and and most of my guests have been women, I know. So I'm trying to change that coming forward. But um, there are a lot of males who have eating disorders. 15% of diagnosed cases are men now. So that's not, you know, it's not 1%. That's 15. It's it's a lot of them. There's 22% of men of all men now are turning to dangerous ways to bulk up. And that's probably where We think of eating disorders more in men, um, and it it is more common than anorexia and bulimia, but this idea that we need to bulk up to get as big as possible, and men are doing all kinds of crazy things, and and boys too, you know, like lots of protein powders, lots of different diets, especially intermittent fasting for men, and lots of weightlifting, taking the body to, um, you know, extremes and not replenishing it. So the same the same that is true in women where you can have an eating disorder develop this it happens in men too. Um so I have that link in this uh show notes and you should check it out. It has a lot more information, but I just wanted to share that so we're all, you know, in it together that it's not just women. Men are affected, boys are affected uh 15%. So um yeah, check that out. Anyway, today is a special episode. Um, it's all about Need a Walk, which is this Sunday, September 15th. It's the Fairfield Need a Walk. It's actually at Calf Pasture Beach Road in Norwalk, Connecticut. So Fairfield County, but Norwalk, Connecticut. And um, I'll be out there walking for Team Life with Ed. So if you're interested in joining me, you can sign up. The Life with Ed team page is linked in the show notes, and you can donate there too. Um, so please, you know, if you're interested in joining, I'd love to have you. We will have a wonderful time. There are two great speakers. You're, you'll hear more about them in the episode because I have the two organizers of the walk on with me today. It's Olivia Grella and Oriana LaFlem, and they have a lot to share about the wonderful organization that is NIDA, the National Eating Disorder Association. So I'll let them explain it. But uh, just so you know, 10 a.m. This walk starts this Sunday. You can get there at 9 a.m. to check in. And I hope to see you all there. So hi, I'm here with Olivia and Oriana. And uh, you guys are both the um, organizers of Need a Walk in Fairfield, right? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So I just wanted to start with asking, like, how did both of you get first involved with eating disorder work or eating disorders in general? So I personally was affected by an eating disorder early on in my adulthood. And unfortunately, um, it started out as a innocent diet. Yeah, a lot of them do. Yeah, absolutely. And just crossed that line into a full blown eating disorder. 
um, I was able to find a great treatment team, fortunately, and and happy to say that I'm fully recovered today. That's awesome. As a result of the tenacity and just the brilliance of my treatment team. That's awesome to hear that you're fully recovered. So I come from more of a clinical background. I worked for Walden Behavioral Care for two years um, as one of like the milieu counselors there. So that's how I became involved. But before that, I've always been a long distance runner. So it's something that's like very prominent. Like, Around our, you all the time. Yeah, and in our yeah. community. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't like slightly affected by it. Yeah, So of it's course. like, it's very prominent. And that's kind of how I first became introduced. That makes sense. A lot of times people have a personal problem that brings them to, to eating disorder work. Um, how did you find Nita first? So um, I feel like it's a big thing thing in the eating disorder community yeah, for sure. so it's like something that you know <laughs> yeah um but for me I at my job I became close with a couple other girls and we kind of like had that connection together and decided to do the needle walk so at we kind Walden of like, you said yeah yeah so we both kind the three of us um kind of like joined together and that's how we were first introduced I actually became introduced because I was so intrigued by the biological aspect of yeah. this disease and the illness and just wanted more information. Yeah, and they have so much information. They yeah. really do. And it's such a great resource. So just scoured the website and went through all the research, statistics, information, and just gathering all that and just wanting to know more in my quest for knowledge and yeah. just became absorbed in it. Um, and then started my first need a walk four years ago wow okay in fairfield or a in, different one it was in fairfield county at sherwood island okay cool and you're organizing this walk this year when did you first start organizing the walk in fairfield so I do a lot of work at NIDA yeah. on the helpline. <laughs> I am certified in the body project oh, as awesome. well, which um, I'll talk about in a little bit, but I'm certified in that and delivering that program. So was kind of tapped on the shoulder to take on the walk about two months ago and said yes and yeah. have been happily doing that with Olivia for the past couple so of months. So it's both your first year? Yes. That's really exciting. Do you have particular goals or things you hope to see this year out there? So I think that we have um, come a long way. I think we've made a lot of progress in terms of our goals and just moving forward with the walk. What I'm really excited about are speakers that we have yeah. lined up. We have um, two recovery speakers, um, one have, which has spoken at the New York Walk. Oh, wow. And another um, recovery story and also Dr. Doug Bunnell. So... Do you have any favorite stories? I know you've been to a lot of walks. Um, you may not have organized it before, but do you have any favorite stories or inspiring things you have heard at different walks? So I've spent most of my time at the Boston walks, and I I don't think there's anyone in particular that really stands out because all of them kind of cover like different aspects and mm -hmm. like have talked about different disorders. So I think all of them are like very motivational, inspirational. So I wouldn't say one really stands out to me. Um, because I think they're all pretty amazing. I would also have to echo that. I think that the motivational speakers are incredible. And just last year at the New York Walk, just looking at everyone there and looking at the eyes and the faces and the hope that I saw in the eyes of the people that were listening to these talks and the motivational speakers was amazing to me. So you really see like the people who are at the walk, you know, feeling inspired or um, encouraged. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. 
Um, are there any particular questions? I know you both do a lot of work in the eating disorder field. And are there any questions or comments um, you often hear from people um, that you wish you could respond to or that you do you do talk about? Yeah, I think a lot of the time people ask kind of like, how how does this start? Like, where does this come from? If it's something that's just like, is it just a biological thing? Is it a social thing? Is it a combination? So I think a lot of people are curious, like, how does one go from maybe just a simple diet to an eating disorder? And I think um, research-wise, we're coming a long way with that answer. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still pretty, like out there it's pretty confusing and it really is just like based on a personal level too so um i think a lot of the times people want like a one answer to fit everything and that's just not how it really works in eating disorders yeah what do you say to them um so i typically give them that type of answer like i come from a research background so i tend to be pretty scientific in how i talk um so i'm kind of just like i would look at kind of what big factors are in your life um and remember not to like place blame too because I feel like a lot of the times people look in that area for an answer yeah but it's it's not something that anyone really chooses it could be like something is biologically in their brain it could be a bunch of different social influences so I think it's just it's not something that's there's going no to be, one thing yeah there's no one at. thing yeah So I agree that it's that perfect storm that comes together. It's a biopsychosocial disease and illness that comes together and culminates to just that perfect storm that is um, impacting people. Um, I've also done some legislative advocacy through the Eating Disorder Coalition. And I have to say that what's amazing to me and a steel thread that I've seen um, year over year after doing it is when I've been typically when we open up the meetings, we'll ask the either fellow or um, whoever the lawmaker has to be, whether it's Congress or Senate, if how familiar they are with eating disorders. Yeah, it's probably not right. Generally, the answer is the, the questions we typically ask is how much do you know about eating disorders? And generally, the answer is not much. Yeah. And the second question we ask is, do you know anybody who's been impacted by an eating disorder? And generally the answer is no. When it's probably not no, right? Like they probably do know someone. Right. And so the one prominent thing that particularly stands out for me is um, after having done this this past year, we were going through and there were more people who did know about eating disorders and were more familiar And there was this one lawmaker that we went into and we actually happened to speak to his fellow. And we went through and we asked the question and he said, no, I don't know anybody impacted. And we kind of gave our spiel about what eating disorders are about and the statistics and then what we were advocating for from a legislative perspective. And he came back at the end of that and said, wow, I can't believe all that I've learned today from you. And you know what? There may be somebody in my life that I do know that is impacted. Yeah. I think that's so common where like you just don't know what to look for. And I know Mm -hmm. like, you know, I had an eating disorder as well and my parents just didn't have any experience with it. So didn't know that it even was a problem and um same can be for you know a legislature or anyone just seeing someone you're like oh that seems normal ish right since so many people are dieting or doing different um restrictive behaviors that are sort of normalized 
and, and, and normalize is so true. And, you know, you think it's clean eating or healthy dieting and it just crosses that line, unfortunately. And I do hear on the helpline a lot of times parents who feel so guilty because they yeah. say that they, yeah. their child has been suffering and they feel at guilt and faulted because, and, you know, we try to tell them yeah. that there's no real way to determine the difference. In this. What do you say to parents like that? So we basically try to comfort them, let them know that it is difficult to tell when they cross that line. And a lot of times, unfortunately, with the disease, there is a lot of ambivalence on the side and denial on the side of the person who is right. infected. Yeah. So they may not even know. And it's such a confusing, misunderstood, complicated disease yeah. and illness that it's very, very difficult to understand. So we just try to give them the resources that we have and educate them from that point forward and try to allay their concerns that anyone can be affected and that it's not their fault that they didn't catch it. Yeah, that's that's good to hear because I think a lot of times, you know, children do if they, you know, grow out of it, um, they think, oh, that was because of my parents or something. And, and you don't want to have that blame going on because yeah. it's really not, it's not anyone's fault. No, it's really not, yeah. So back to the need to walk, um, you're raising funds, right? And, mm -hmm. and what do these funds go to and what can you see um, or what could you tell walkers or donators that their money will, will do? Great. That's a great question. Thank you. So a lot of the fundraising efforts um, are putting life-saving resources into the hands of those in need. And we provide a catalyst of for prevention, cures, and access to quality care. And along with that, every dollar raised, we are one step closer to needed a shared vision, which is a world without eating disorders, which we truly hope one day will happen. Um, more specifically, NIDA answers more than 40,000 calls for individuals who are reaching out to the NIDA helpline looking for support. We also guide over 220,000 people to take the first step towards recovery through our online screening tool right. on our website. We help boost esteem and prevent eating disorders for hundreds of students, high school, college age students um, on the Body Project, which is a body positivity self-esteem program. And do you do those in high schools and, and colleges like presentations? We do. So there are workshops. There are four to six week, um, four to six session workshops. Oh, okay. And you come become certified, which I am, and have delivered them nationwide very successfully. Oh, wow. That's and awesome. And it really is an early intervention program instead of kind of waiting and focusing more on health and nutrition in schools. Yeah, because I definitely didn't have anything like that when I was in, in high school or college. Absolutely. And the conversation has really changed a lot now from a legislative perspective, from nutrition. They're actually trying to even make changes in the Nutrition Act to early intervention programs. So the body workshop is great for that. So we also um, are awarding $200,000 in grants for clinical research to improve the lives of those with eating disorders. And we also fight for legislative advocacy and change. And we do see every single year, we see the dial move a little bit closer. What are some of those legislative changes that have been most recent? So this past year, um, we, we actually didn't realize it, that it was going to be up on 
the floor oh, wow. in two days. So when you go for training, it's a one day training, and then you go in and meet with six of your lawmakers, right? Congress yeah, and Senate. So it's a really intense day. Um, this particular year, it was one of the things we were we were advocating for was to keep the pre existing condition clause for the Affordable Care Act, right? Yeah, which passed the House. And we're currently waiting for a date on Senate. So, And that, just to explain a little to people, what does that allow for? So that will allow, even if the Affordable Care Act is dismantled, it will keep the pre-existing condition clause as part of whatever is reformed. And even if the Affordable Care Act is modified in its current form, it will still, even if they dismantle some of it, the pre-existing condition clause will remain, which is significant for people with eating disorders because that is a pre-existing condition. Right. My personal story, I can tell you that um, when I came off of my my, um, corporate-sponsored and my business-sponsored healthcare health insurance and went into my own business and my husband has his own business, I started seeking out healthcare. Right, yeah. this was years ago, and basically, I got letter the first letter that said, "You are uninsurable because you had an eating disorder." Because I had an eating disorder, and I saw the word uninsurable, and so I contacted the provider. You're like, what? <laughs> and I said, "Uninsurable for how long? And you know, how much do we have to pay to get around this this condition yeah. and this clause?" And they said, "No, you're uninsurable for life." Which is just like incredible to hear when you probably need care. Absolutely. And it's a very expensive disease, unfortunately, to treat. And so I, anybody who knows me knows I'm very tenacious. And I contacted every single insurer in the state of Connecticut. I got very creative. Yeah. Yeah, um, you have to. However, letter after letter after letter received uninsurable. And is that something that people saw commonly before the pre-existing condition clause? They did. The state of Connecticut actually did have a program in place. It was one of um, several states in the country that had something similar to the Affordable Care Act, where if you did have a pre-existing condition, it would be covered at a higher rate, although you were able to get insurance. But we were just fortunate that the Affordable Care Act kind of coalesced with this existing Connecticut plan. Right. That night we celebrated and we ate cake. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I bet. (laughs) Because that's just so, um, you know, heartbreaking to be like, you can't get care or like your life isn't, you know, worth insuring because it might be too expensive. And I just wanted to mention, it's it's very similar. A lot of people think... um, Olivia mentioned it being a choice, and that's one thing I think that is really important and an important message to get through, that it this really is not a choice, and as no one would choose any life-threatening illness. Yeah. And so would you not insure a smoker that has lung cancer because they chose to smoke? Even if it were a choice. Yeah. So and that's almost more of a choice. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it, we do have mental health parity, although it's, there's a lot of loopholes. So it's not really enforced very well. Yeah. But 
it is something that definitely I do hear on the helpline a lot, um, insurance complications and how people can get affordable health care. So we need to also help with that as well. Awesome. Do you have any experience with that with patients you're seeing? Yeah, so I had experience primarily in the residential level of care. Right. I was also, um, I had an internship as an outpatient clinician where when you kind of say that you've worked in eating disorders before, you get a lot of those clients as well. So I was fortunate enough to yeah. see them in a higher level of care and in a lower level of care. And the in residential, the amount of parents who I knew were paying out of pocket was more than it should have been. because. Yeah. I never was one to ask for like the actual price, but I knew that our program like wasn't cheap and we have a very good program up there. Right. And in my outpatient work, I would have a lot of people come in and they would say, oh, my presenting problems are like body image and anxiety. And they would continue to like describe their symptoms to me of what they just described as like body image. And I'd be like, it would be extreme restrictive eating. It would be purging. It would be all classic symptoms of eating disorders. And I would ask them about it and they'd be like, well, it's just too much to go into a formal program. So they're like, it's cheaper to come here and see me an intern for free yeah. than it was yeah. to see um, like someone who was actually certified at the time. Luckily, I had background in it, but still it's like, it's not it's really my where first year. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I can give you the best treatment I can provide, but it was yeah. pretty unfortunate yeah and that yeah. i think that happens quite a bit um with people not being able to get the highest level or the care that they really need yeah. um because of costs yeah and i can even say that i would put in like recommendations from an outpatient level and i would contact their doctors and be like i know you see this too we have weekly conversations about their weight what can we do to get them to step up and unfortunately it was an insurance decision yeah which is really upsetting yeah, for sure. I think also on a positive note, um, Nita does have a lot of information on financial assistance, scholarships, sliding scale. Definitely. There are different foundations and organizations out there. So there is hope for those. Right. So if you are suffering, please reach out because there is there are options for you. I think that's a great thing about Nita, too, is that it's like, okay, they've done this. You can figure out how to do it because I think a lot of families are like starting from ground zero over and over yep. again. Yeah. Um, so we've talked sort of a lot about Nita walks and what you guys are seeing out there, but as professionals in the field, what are some current trends that you're seeing, you know, whether in your patients or when you go present um, to groups that are concerning to you or are you worried about? I think social media is probably one of the biggest influences currently. Right. Um, like, I believe we've moved away from just, like, Photoshop recently to everything's based on likes, everything's based on comparison, and you can kind of, you can find it anywhere. Yeah. And yeah, with definitely. people at younger ages getting phones earlier and starting using social media earlier, the rates are kind of increasing at an earlier age, too. Um, and for... For girls, it's a simple like comparison to other people. I don't want to say simple um, comparison to others. And for guys, they're even doing it with comparing like their body type and their muscle to other guys, too. So it really covers both spectrums. Um, and social media is kind of like really pushing it forward because it's everywhere. Yeah, definitely. So I think um, the the one thing, the current trend that I've been seeing specifically too, as as well as social media, which is the body and weight shaming, 
which is really difficult to see at such young ages, but also people are being affected at earlier ages. We're starting to see children as young as six years old. Yeah. Our children that are just, you know, so innocent, um, that are so concerned about their weight and their body image. And, you know, they're getting these messages from social media. And unfortunately, it's that's very sad. So that's definitely a trend that I've been seeing. And also what used to be viewed as a um an american um an american white girl white girl disease upper middle class has really crossed the boundaries and the borders and it's a non-selective illness that seems to be affecting people of all genders ethnicities socioeconomic backgrounds and all ages i see young people i see older people i see males females all different types of people that are now coming out. And so it's really, really reaching out to other cultures and ethnicities as well. I think part of that too, at least for what I see with my patients is like, it's, it's not, we're not only looking at anorexia anymore, right? Like there's so many other eating disorders that are now, you know, classified as eating disorders as well. So we're seeing those, those other, um, you know, people who maybe were passed over before. Right. And now that the DSM codes have been updated to yeah. include things like binge eating disorder. Right. We're starting to see a and lot OSFED more. OSFED too. Yeah. Absolutely. And OSFED and, you know, just sensory things that also younger children, we have, we get calls for, for some, ARFID. For ARFID. Yeah. And we're, there's just sensory issues and parents are scared for their yeah. children. They're very young children, ages two and three years old. So it's something that is very concerning. I don't know if you guys see this a lot, but it's a question that's come up for me is that, you know, there's so much public health messaging about obesity and about, you know, weight loss and just everything constantly is like, you know, portion control and you know, we have this crisis and this is what everyone needs to focus on. Do you see that impacting, you know, the way parents are viewing their child and maybe causing some, you know, stress there in terms of whether they're like, oh, I'm worried if my kid's overweight and they talk about it with their child where that maybe wasn't happening before? Yeah, I think it's definitely increasing. I wouldn't say that that's ever the parent's intention to do that. No, 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 yeah. Um, But I think that with that becoming a trend and a lot of the focus being on kind of like obesity and weight management, it is having more of like a flow over impact into kind of like eating disorders and disordered eating because a lot of the times like there's a lot of bullying around like being overweight and stuff like that. So it can develop like very quickly into something pretty severe. And it's not just like you said, anorexia. There's a lot of bulimia. I had a lot of kids with avoidant restrictive. And a lot of the times they're kind of like misunderstood and can come from other things. And that's where I think the body project really comes into play and have seen such great success with this program across the country and with students that are so accepting of going through and being brave and taking these challenges um, head on. But it is an early intervention program that reduces eating disorders by 60%. That's amazing. It's it's really significant. Um, the focus, as you mentioned, Julia, was that it's not about, um, it's, it's taking the focus away from weight. 
and exercise in schools and rather now focusing on body positivity, self-esteem, feeling good in your skin, feeling good at whatever shape you are. Um, One very interesting story and a great story that I can share that I took away from um, probably one of the most significant body workshops that I had done was there were two students that were in participating in this project and the one girl said we're all talking about different ways that we can go out and activate and as part of activism either support a local merchant that we believed in that supports all body shapes and sizes in terms of clothing right or one that doesn't and they all went immediately to this one store that sells only one size and it's a child size for teenage girls and so what <laughs> everyone so everyone basically was like yes we're gonna write a letter stating that we don't feel comfortable with yeah. this particular message that you're sending to girls yeah and there was a girl at she was very quiet and at the other end of the table and she looked up and she said but i shop at that store and the original girl who had made that comment about let's let's send a message right stating that we don't agree with this looked at the girl and said you know I never understood. Everybody focuses so much, as we mentioned earlier, on dieting and, you know, making sure we're at a healthy weight and exercising. But you're a runner and you're on the slender side. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. That's okay to be either side of the spectrum. And it was so cool, though, to see the acceptance Mm -hmm. on both ends. Of whatever shape you or size you are, it's really about feeling comfortable where you are. Definitely. Yeah. So to end more positively, I, I wanted to ask, do you see any trends um, in, you know, in society, social media, wherever um, that are, you know, helping to reduce eating disorders? Yeah. So I think in general, we're kind of entering into this trend where mental health is becoming something that we're talking about more um, overall in general. And it is becoming a discussion. There's a lot of people supporting it. There's a lot of celebrities talking about it. There's a lot more um, legislative work being done. And I don't. I personally don't think that this is going to be something that changes overnight. But with like small changes like we're doing now, it's really going to be what has kind of an overall impact and like people coming up and sharing their stories is really making it more beneficial for maybe someone else to kind of see someone else being strong and decide to share their stories too and kind of seek treatment right and i also even though we talked about kind of the insurance problem earlier there's a lot more people out there who um are working in eating disorders there's a lot of therapists available there's a lot of levels of care right to fit whatever you may need And with kind of us talking more about mental health, there's a lot more people going into the therapy and social work and nutrition profession. So there are a lot of people out there who are willing to help too. Yeah, which is so nice because I feel like a few years ago, even there weren't that many people. Like I went to, you know, the, uh, I was in college and I went to the psychologist or the therapy group at at UConn and they were like oh we have like one person who works with eating disorders and it was like okay (laughs) like great (laughs) yeah so I definitely agree with everything Olivia mentioned um, in terms of that 
and what we're also seeing are um, a lot more self-help resources. So for people who are interested in, um, it's a very difficult disease to overcome on your own. So we always do recommend professional treatment. Uh, but there are people who are interested in additional resources and doing exercises and and different goal setting on their own. So yeah. we're seeing a lot more of that out there. So I would definitely say that a lot of those resources becoming available are helping. Are, really helpful. are definitely helping. Also, there's been a, a slight shift, which I've noticed in terms of trends, which is in the given the right situation for younger for younger children um, or teen, even teens, in the right situation, family-based treatment has become a really great way of kind of surrounding the child and providing support, even if it's not in an inpatient or residential setting or right. a higher level of care setting. But that's also a model that we're accepting and embracing more and more. So could you explain a little just what that means for people? Sure. So um, it started in Europe and Mm -hmm. it was called the Maudsley Method. Right. And it's been embraced here in the U.S. Um, It's now kind of deemed family-based treatment. Yeah. And it's basically the family becomes the caregiver for the child. And it does take a strong family to do so, but it is something that is... uh, has a high degree of success and we're seeing a lot of success in the field with it. That's awesome. Um, so I didn't tell you guys I was going to ask this question because it's my my surprise question for everyone. But um, I like to try to end with some positivity around food because I think so many people are so stressed about it, especially in the eating disorder field. So I'd just like to know what's your favorite food? Ooh, that's a really hard question. <laughs> yeah. I love ice cream, so that's my go-to. Um, French fries as well, but I have like a pint of ice cream that I keep in my office at work, so that's probably going to what be my kinds? final answer. Mint chocolate chip. Oh, okay, good. Yes. Me too. It's great. So I would probably have to say that my favorite food is as a dessert would be chocolate of any type. Yeah, um, it's all good. Yeah, it's <laughs> totally all good. And um, just a variety of foods, fresh foods. Um, I would just say that, you know, eating a range of foods and having just... Being able to eat a lot of things. Exactly. I think for a lot of us who come from having an eating disorder, it's like you'd whittle down the foods you could eat to so few that you're like, wow, when you can have everything. It's really good. Absolutely. But definitely chocolate's my (laughs) go-to. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much. Thank Um, you. And just if someone's interested in joining Nita Walk Fairfield, could you tell them where to go or how to sign up? Yep. So if you go to the needle walk page um and search fairfield you can find us i believe yeah so it's needle walk forward slash fairfield 2019 and also just wanted to mention as well um if anyone is interested in the nita helpline yeah where they can contact for support treatment resources and information that number is 1-800-931-2237 and they also have an online chat 
They do. I used to be a chatter, <laughs> a helpline chat person. So yeah, so it's great. Um, that's Monday through Thursday, mm-hmm. nine a.m. to nine p.m. Eastern, and on Fridays, nine a.m. to five p.m. Eastern. So during those hours, you can either call or you can chat online, and it's a great way to get resources. Definitely. Well, and thank support. you. Thank you both so much. So I hope to see you out there this weekend. I'll be out there with Team Life with Ed. Check us out in the orange shirts. And if you're interested in donating, you can check out our page. The link is in the description of the show. So have a wonderful week, everyone. And if you wouldn't mind, just give my podcast a little like and uh, just, you know, review if you want. And more and more people will be able to find us. So thank you.